0: Welcome to the Yucatastri, where we meander through politics, pop culture, church and society to consider true human ends and how life may be enchanted. My name is Joel Harrison, joined as always here by David Taylor, and we are coming to you still from the pandemic, in which we're actually socially distant still because I have a toddler cold upon me, but some people have been reacting to this pandemic in a slightly different way. Some people have turned to violence, <laughs> and by some people... I mean, David Taylor. Yeah.
1: David, you've been playing with swords. Yeah. Yeah, so for a while I've been uh, thinking about getting into a martial art of some kind. <laughs> I know you're going to say, for a while there, I've had these
0: violent thoughts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about getting into a martial art for some time because uh, there's all all sorts of research and, and things like that on... Uh, how doing a martial art can help you do deal with things like anxiety, can help you to be more comfortable with conflict, uh, can help you to resolve unfinished business. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like that. That's what I've been thinking about. And so, like, how would see, no,
0: this is the truth of it, isn't it? He actually, dear, dear listener, he actually went to a uh, another dojo <laughs> called called. Called Cobra Kai, yeah. and uh, he got given a bit of a beatdown. So now he's on a he's now on a quest yeah. to be the best around. Yeah, uh, nothing's going to stop him or keep him down.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, and like so, what would Dave do? What's the most Dave way of learning a martial art? I'm learning 16th century swordsmanship. <laughs> This, uh, is, from, this is peak youtubing from Renaissance journals. So, uh, um, from Renaissance manuals. So, I'm doing. Um, uh, I'm learning uh, the the two-handed sword and and the partisan, which is a type of spear. Hold
0: on, hold on. The two-handed sword. It's not called that, David. You told me earlier what it's called. It's
1: called the spadone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: or the, in German, it's the zweihänder, which is two hands.
0: Can you keep going?
1: Yeah, uh, matante. In, uh, in Spanish. Oh, man. I speak Spanish, so he's
0: learning a two-handed sword. Yeah, right. And how big? Is it, how big is this sword?
1: Uh, they were like anywhere that they, they, they can go anywhere up to the height of the swords person themselves. Um, so five and a half feet. Uh, my the one I've been using is about that that long.
0: So now the question is. Why? As in what is he looking to crush people? What is he is this gonna be like, you know, must crush capitalism? Well I think
1: the, the, the so the, the sword that the techniques and the sword that I've been learning was mainly used as for bodyguards or or champions who were asked to hold down a bridge uh, from a from a mob <laughs> or something like that. So, no, you're the champion. So, like, what, the are, manuals, you gonna, what are you going
0: to be holding down? The,
1: the manuals that I uh, have been studying to teach you about how to protect a lady on her way home yeah. uh, at night, yeah. Um, yeah. and things like that. So, it's basically you swing it around wildly to keep a mob of attackers <laughs> away. Which which so Which is, is some like, great psychodrama for me. So
0: basically did Sarah say to you, David, I feel like you don't you don't have the capacity to protect me from a
1: mob? Yeah, well she's getting been getting really, really into the gospel coalition lately. <laughs> and she's like, What the hell, bro? <laughs> it was a
0: footnote it was a footnote to that grooming article. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you don't feel that your man can protect you with a five and a half foot sword, yeah. <laughs> what kind of marriage do you have? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, all oh, well, I'm just glad. I'm just glad for because I thought this this road to the uni- to the to the gym was just a road towards a saturated evil. So I'm just happy for you, David, that you've seen the light and now that light is refracted off a five and a half foot sword. That <laughs> <laughs> you're going to swing around city. You're going to become one of these characters. You know, people. Refer to like the guy who carries signs around Sydney. You're going to be the guy who has a five and a half foot sword on his back.
1: Oh, what's her name? Which, um, did you know that uh, this is approved? Uh, I think, but uh, Miss Havisham from Bleak House is based on a person who actually wandered the streets of Newtown, in King's, okay. King Street in Newtown. She's buried in St Stephen's graveyard. There you go. Yeah. So I'll be well, the that's next Miss Habersham you. yeah, <laughs> that's, that. that. <laughs> that's my life. That's my life. Going to get some
0: cats. Some cats are going to be yeah. on the way. Um, this isn't what we're talking about, although we could just keep going on swords and renaissance history and um, which crusade against what mm. that David is going to be taking up. I think that's a bit late for crusades, isn't it? Anyway, we are actually continuing with our third part of three on discussion of the, univers- of the university. Uh, what we looked at in the first episode, of course, was uh, John Henry Newman's The Idea of a University, where he argued that the university exists – for cultivating knowledge as against the argument that it should be for utility. Um, In our second episode, we were looking at the relationship of that to theology and how theology is embedded in and integrated with this pursuit of knowledge. Now this then leads us into slightly different tact maybe, but we're looking now at the relationship to the church, church and the university and particularly thinking about student vocation and some of the ideas we've been discussing how it leads into this. So in Australia, Theology was explicitly carved out of the university and it was sent like some sort of exiled person to divinity colleges. Now, in large part, that came about out of sectarian concerns. So, you get arguments, for example, at the founding of Melbourne University around whether a theology faculty should be included. And they couldn't agree between themselves, especially the Roman Catholics saw the uh, founding of a, a divinity school within the university, public university. ...as a, a kind of teaching the Protestant religion by stealth. And so, instead, you get these sort of isolated around the rings of the university, these divinity colleges that aren't part of the university itself. But I think there's also a fascinating connection here to Newman, again, with the idea of a university where well, he's talking about how religion has been carved out of the university, he says that this is in part because there's a changed understanding about what religion or theology entails. He talks about shifting uh, a shift in understanding of faith to feeling or sentiment or mere taste, and then he discusses how, for example, a scientist can say, well, I have nothing to do with religion. You can go about doing your religious thing. I'm just simply merely uh, examining the, how the atom works, right? Um, you can continue with your theological understanding as a matter of adornment, as a matter of personal taste, but it's got nothing to do with me.
1: Yeah. And I mean, so, you can understand this impulse towards um, kind of privatizing, compartmentalizing theological a commitment. Uh, so, if you think about this time period, it's one where anti-Catholicism is rife, um, sectarian prejudice is, is rife. And so, this idea that religious people need to be protected from one another, it's grounded in some sort of historical experience. Now, it 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 goes it perhaps goes too far and it and it and it valorizes the secular state too much. It disregards the violence that happens within secular contexts and and treats that as if it's reasonable violence, whereas religious violence is, is somehow less reasonable um, or something like that. But you can at least understand the impulse. So if we even think about Henry John Henry Newman himself, I mean, he was someone that was uh, essentially exiled because of his. Um, conversion to Catholicism or his rejoining of the Roman Catholic Church Um, and he could no longer be part of the University of Oxford because he was not a uh, card camera uh, a communicant member of the Church of England Um, and so you can understand how this narrative develops that basically we we save each other through kind of uh, basically being quiet on matters of matters theological this has problems and it's not
0: and it's not necessary
1: yeah so it, this, uh, so I'd say you know, I, all I'm wanting to qualify this with is you can understand the impulse. Now I I don't think it was just a matter of, I don't think it was just a matter of trying to protect uh, people from sectarianism. Uh, that was the impetus behind at least the founding the, the the move in the University of Sydney, which was explicitly set up as a. Version a mini Oxford in the Southern Hemisphere. So our motto is something like "same truth under different stars," and we're we're basically trying to be an Oxford um, on the bottom of the world kind of thing. Now, I think there was a secularist um, push here that you know that we're creating a new world, and so why why not start off this new world with um, without reference to the divine? Um, there was certainly an element of that, so it was a it was a conscious um, philosophical uh, move as well. But I think, as as a matter
0: for the church, if we focus in on the church and its um, understanding, this creates dysfunctions. Yes. So, like it is is a case now. If you take that Melbourne example, I think if you put all these people in the same room, they probably maybe more inclined to have a theology faculty than or actually some wouldn't so that's that's actually part of the problem mm. but so i think
1: this separation creates dysfunctions yes so it's dis- i think it's dysfunctional for the reasons that we talked about in the last two episodes that is that without reference to theology um, all sorts of difficulties arise in the university and its vocation that is knowledge becomes fragmented um uh, things become overly specialised. There's no sense of adjudication between different uh, spheres of knowledge. Um, so, different uh, disciplines claim to be the final, the, 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 tr- the truthiest truth um, available. Um, so, there, there's problems with the university when it um, loses reference uh, to theology, when it loses a theological reference point, uh, if you like. But I think there's also problems with that develop in theology. And so... What also happens in New South Wales is we have the development of kind of private um, theological seminaries or Bible colleges, as we call them. And I, I, you know, I'm not a historian uh, and I'm certainly not particularly well-versed in the history of um, Australian theology. But one of the things that seems to develop, especially in our context, is this incredibly insular um, theology within the um the Sydney Protestant scene. And so, um, even to this day, you have people working within Bible colleges as academics who who seem to suffer from a malady caused by not having to justify themselves um, academically um, yeah. Yeah. to people from outside of their theological institution or their Bible colleges, they would probably uh, prefer to call it. Um, and so, they do engage in things like Uh, (laughs) This is probably getting a bit too personal Now, they do investigate some kind of philosophy and things like that For apologetic ends or for Mm. instrumental ends Uh, But that said, so often people When I tell people that I've studied philosophy They will then, who have studied at these institutions They will then try and school me on philosophy Me having studied it for seven years and then one semester And it's just incredibly bad as well um because yes, so you because get, it's not it, it, philosophy at, at that has been forged in an intellectual Right, um, a fortunate intellectual furnace of conversation, um, yeah. debate, uh, and things like that. Uh, they and Newman actually discusses this. Right, he says if you if you if you don't let them
0: go to university, then they can't learn the humor, good wit, and and intellectual tools yes. in order to engage with. Ultimately, if you want to call it Babel, yeah. right. But also your point there that they don't have to justify themselves to anyone, which is fascinating because then you get into these scenarios like we had during our. Uh, marriage Postal Survey oh, and these things in which you get this supposed apparent political theology argument that has absolutely no under- comprehension about how poorly done it is, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just simply manning the ramparts and, and speaking to a, your own internal audience, right, as opposed to actually trying to cultivate
1: what does it mean to live a common life together. Yeah. And so, the job of the public um, theologian in our context was to make... Uh, their constituents feel heard So um, <laughs> right. uh, rather than to provide an argument I th- And I think this is the problem with how we do public theology in Australia Or apologetics, public Christianity and things like that It's so often just making sure that um, people within our churches Feel like they've they've had a voice or been listened to Rather mm. than actually making a good argument
0: yeah. So, I think the dysfunction then goes deeper as well, because what you then get is it, it becomes specialized. So, the university does one thing and these colleges do another, mm. right? And what do the colleges do? Often, especially if you're talking in an evangelical context, I don't, I don't think I can universalize it necessarily, mm. but if you're talking about in that context, often it's then seen as this is focused on professional ministry or training for professional ministry, and so that then means these people who come through it, they then they develop their own domain, which turns into sort of a group of charismatic menaces dueling mm-hmm. with each other, carved off from a university that may have actually nourished and expanded their concerns, right? Mm-hmm. and so and then also then it then turns back into an understanding of what they think the university is. that then is purely instrumental, I think. They instrumentalize the university because that utility, the argument that John Henry Newman posed or was arguing against, namely that the universe exists to serve things like jobs and so on, mm. that is then perceived as a good thing, as a benefit. It is simply a matter of utility because it uh, trains people for jobs, and mm. trains them for money, it trains them for usefulness that so then can be instrumentally served for the real deal, mm. right? The real deal being proclamation of the gospel through a particular form of ministry, right? So, the colleges that see themselves as doing the real thing, as opposed to the university, which is just serving an instrumental purpose that then will help us promote the real thing. And I think you get this then fundamentally, it's uh, the image is in crystallized when you're actually on a campus where a lot of uh, student Christian groups, right? They, I think, essentially just Instrumentalize the entire university space. Yeah, um, it's just a place where people are. Yep. Right. It might as well be a car park because it's just where bot. It's a place where bodies turn up. Mm. Right. There isn't really a sense that while we're on a vocation as students to say what we were doing talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were saying you know to examine the life worth living mm. through all our disciplines together and bringing to bear upon that the riches of the Christian tradition as well. In which I think the evangelism uh, for, on a university campus should be about welcoming people into that conversation, yep. right? About a shared conversation and, and an attempt to say something true yep. in which you joust and so on and so forth, right? Instead, what we get is more just kind of like, well, it's a place where we can support Christians, mm-hmm. not a bad thing in itself, and it's a place where there are more bodies that we can then direct them to something other than the university. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, and in that sense, it fits with uh, the non-places we've talked about about it in in the past Uh, it's a a place where bodies move through it has no it's it's devoid of kind of any um historical meaning in itself any um any teleology apart so i think this motion
0: so i I, so i think this poses then huge problems And, and i think one thread we maybe haven't highlighted enough as we've gone through this is that reading someone like newman um, or other thinkers, like uh, when I was reading, say, McIntyre on Newman, mm. um, really challenges yourself, right? Because it makes you realize how deeply inadequate your own educational yeah. formation yeah. has been. And that's maybe the beginning of wisdom, because you realize how ignorant you are and where you have to keep on going and so on, right? But then this, then I think, pose a huge challenge. If we're talking about integrating theology with the pursuit of knowledge in a university context and the formation of the person who is going to be, you know, in that political sense, that's going to understand how their place their place in society and what is the good society. Mm. If this is the university and it's theologically informed, then what do we see is needed? What do we think is needed for the student vocation? Yeah. Um, I think that the very first thing to emphasize with that question is, is it there's a need to actually understand that you have a vocation yeah. as a student, or that you have a vocation as an academic or a vocation in the university? Yeah. It is not, as you're just saying, a place to move
1: through. So right. It, so the vocation would be um, giving a knockdown argument to your tutor to convince them of the <laughs> yeah, truth of yeah, the scriptures. Yeah, that's <laughs> Get, right. Hashtag yeah. confessions of a young Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's doing, he does that in the morning, breaks up with the girl in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hawa says this in this great, Stanley Hawa's in this great um, essay that you should read if you're interested in this sort of question. And his essay is, Go with God and open lettered Young Christians on Their Way to College. And you can't accept the contemporary paradigm that your job is simply to move through and get a job Mm. or to cultivate what we now like to call graduate capabilities, Mm. right? But actually, your job is to be a student. It is the, you're part of that community that is trying to say something true, that's trying to examine a life worth living in relationship with each other, right? Not everyone gets to go to university. This is another thing. We're so privileged to have these public institutions. Not everyone gets to go there. Yeah. And and public funding, despite what we we're saying at the outset with its decrease and so on, we're still publicly funded to a yeah. larger extent. And so, people are supporting you going mm. through this, right? As well as your own families and whatever. And so, you have a responsibility is yeah. what I'd
1: say. Right? That's a, you
0: have to understand that vocation in the university,
1: love of knowledge and wisdom and the joy of it. Yeah. So, if you'd like a, some, some kind of practical advice. Uh, from If you're at the University of Sydney as a student There's a wonderful course you can do Called the Birth of Modern Science Which is the History of Science It's one of the exceptions to some of the phenomena I was talking about Last uh, episode uh, With this kind of huge gap um, In uh, medieval Kind of Christian history t- tradition Basically it, it's a history of science From kind of the Greek world to the, to the modern day uh, And it focuses But There's a huge theological element to it And uh I was taught that course by a guy called Ophagol and he has uh, one lecture in that series on the history of the university and, and it's complete moralising on his part. So, he, he says, I, we, we break at this point at every semester uh, so that I can say to you, you need to sit down and appreciate what a peculiar medieval Christian institution you're in and uh, understand that most of these things that you accept as rights... Um, guaranteed to you by law are actually strange Christian medieval customs, um, and and it was it was basically he he was trying to instill in the, his students rightly so a sense of privilege um, mm. for for what they are getting to participate in by coming to university and also warn them about its um, it, the peril that it finds itself in as an institution. So I think that's
0: fascinating as well because it's it's probably a it's probably a rarity, mm. right? Um, And and actually, a lot of what I think when we're talking about this vocation as a student, it's something the church itself has to think about cultivating Mm. or supporting. Because if we're right that there needs to be this integration, theological insight and thinking and deep intellectual life uh, with formation of the person and also just the multiple knowledges that we don't hive off as specializations, and that doesn't happen, you know, you don't have the, theolog- the theological sense mm-hmm. within the university itself. Then the church itself has to try and think about how to support that, right? And and the question is, can it? Um, you know, I think one of the points about being a um, a st- in the student vocation is to recognize deeply intellectual, mm-hmm. right? It's a deeply intellectual life, you have to be inquisitive. You have to think widely. You have to draw from intellectual sources, and this means doing things like, as well as your own study reading the whole of the confessions, reading mm. the whole of this, reading the whole of this, and so on. And that's incredibly difficult, not least because we have a, quite an anti-intellectual culture, yeah. both outside and inside the church. Yeah.
1: So, and and kind of jumping again to some more practical advice uh, for students, you need to find teachers who actually talk as if this stuff matters. Um, so I've been really lucky to have kind of stumbled across a f- few teachers from outside of my discipline, actually, who have been incredible. But one teacher that comes to mind is my kind of associate supervisor for my master's thesis was Professor Vrasidis Corrales. And he's a institution on the university campus. But he's someone who actually, he worries about you um, based on what you're reading. So the other day I ran into him on campus and he genuinely worries about... The allure of postmodernism for me, and my my enamoured me being enamoured with um, Giorgio Gambin, because because it actually matters, right? And it matters for my formation as a person, It matters for my the cultivation of my soul um, and things like that. So he's you know he spent most of his time <laughs> when I'd meet with him, going you know basically trying to get me to throw out my the wrong books and read Aquinas. Yeah.
0: So this is fascinating because I mean, Howarth makes the same point to try and find teachers that would set you, for example, the whole of a text, mm. a, a lot of Aquinas or mm. the whole of the Confessions, rather than just simply extracts and this, because they show in doing that what they're trying to say is they want you to fall in love with these people, yes, right? They want you to fall in love with them so you can learn from them and be in conversation with them as part of the intellectual enterprise of trying to maybe exceed mm. your teachers, right? And and on your point there about you know finding these teachers. Mm. There's an interesting passage in, um, in Millbank and Paps' book, The Politics of Virtue, where they say that we must, as teachers, we must risk our whole selves, yeah. right? Risk your whole self, presenting the students an integral worldview, mm. an integral person that the student can have, uh, accept as a way to be, but has the permission, of course, to decline. Now, the reason for that is that the, fundamentally at the heart of education is um, trust, mm that the student has to trust that it is going somewhere. Mm. And how do they do that? They can do that by seeing a person who's before them, yep. who has gone further than them, with the idea that that teacher is to raise them up so that one day they surpass them. Mm. Right? Now, I, that sort of language would give a lot of academics hives mm. because it's quite hierarchical, right? It's the idea that you have gone further and you're imparting something to the students mm. and th- so that they can then cultivate their own integral understanding of life. And then maybe one day surpass you. Whereas now we talk about, you know, students being co-creators and it's sort of more flat egalitarian. And we talk about, we don't talk about this, but it becomes more like an informational model and so on. And we also talk about, you know, not bringing to bear upon this questions of character and morality and so on and so forth. Whereas actually, if the job, if the purpose of education is the formation of the self, right, then there is a real responsibility and onus and burden, Mm. you know, share burden upon teachers
1: and then choosing your teachers. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And there there are all sorts of, Yeah, and and this is why, yeah, and and I find it very interesting because it's rarely for me teachers that I've had as teachers for courses, it's people I've kind of run into through incidental conversation on campus, um, you know, around the quad or being introduced to to people. And again, I I mean, this is another reason to lament the um, death of the campus as a as a space, because uh, all my all my best interactions have been, you know, at the vice chancellor's book Sh- book fair, um, chatting about, you know, what I happen to be have have in my hand at the time, and um,
0: and things like that. Well, that's a whole another thing about yeah, in the pandemic and the loss of campus space. I think is is uh, I, I I lament for. I'm just incredibly sad for first-year students Mm -hmm. at the moment who this has been their experience. Yeah,
1: and so, this means as well, like, another practical thing to do is making sure that you're going along to public lectures um, in the Yeah, but
0: also, like, let's go further than that and say, actually, there's a responsibility. If you're part of a group of Christian students, Mm. there's a responsibility that you actually or your leaders, you cultivate these spaces yourself. Yeah, that's right. right? It's, not, it's not because we. If, if it's true that you need this integration of knowledge, you need this integration in order for the formation of the self, yep. then you can't actually rely simply on what goes on in your lecture. Yeah. I said this to a group of students once that they have an incredible burden because they have, get inundated with stuff mm. at university, inundated. But then if they're a Christian, they also have to go further. Yeah, that's right. They have to like really try and dig deep into their own tradition yeah. to think about how they integrate all these things together, and that's an incredibly difficult task. But it's also a joyful one. Mm. But it's one you can't do by yourself either. Yeah. And so, I mean, on that, on that inundation, it's another thing I I think is important is that um, you need to make space for uh, for time and silence. Yeah, that's right. So what we do in the university at the moment often is we just give a lot of stuff yeah you know we just give a lot and and we demand a lot of assessments. I mentioned it I think in another episode how I once saw um, someone in a completely different discipline to me put up something about their it was on languages and they had six assessments so in one class yeah six micro assessments yeah. and this was the mentality every little bit of tidbit knowledge that is, that is imparted, needs then to be assessed. Yeah. And so, of course, that creates a mentality in the student that the purpose of this is just to pass assessments, yeah. is to get through these assessments, right? Yeah. And so, I am I, increasingly of the view that what we need is sort of, you know, the the less is more approach. Mm. In which, yeah, actually, imagine if you could do a course in which was just studying one text yeah. for like an extended period of time. If you've got that as an opportunity, you're probably going to find that much richer, mm. especially in a context Then we Especially because if we then marry that up with how we, how many people experience their church life, right? Which is they go through university, they're bombarded with stuff, 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 and then they go into church and they're bombarded with more stuff, stuff, yeah, yeah. stuff, right? But a a, a but series also, of words and words and words and words and words to download this information. Yeah,
1: university campus ministries are like this as well, though. So they're just another club yeah. offering more and more activities. Um, yeah. Not that that's wrong. or uh, Well, not. Yeah, it's wrong. But not that it's wrong to be a university ministry seeking to do a particular thing but uh, <laughs> uh, if you're just adding to the frenetic activity um, mm. that is your contemporary university life and not offering any kind of alternative um, an alternative type of space and formation then it doesn't uh, you might not be doing your job as well as you could
0: which is i think then you know leads into probably the last point here but which is why a lot of the language I think we're just using here, it it points to having a liturgical life as a student, Mm. right? Um, For a number of reasons. One is that a liturgy demands that you are silent Mm. and actually sit with a text that has a givenness and you ponder it, as opposed to having to sit passively and download information and just be bombarded with it. Mm. You actually have to move through it yourself, but in ways that are kind of rhythmically, silent and expressive and so on and then i think also you know you want to be maintaining your uh connections through time and you know throughout different throughout the christian tradition and then also i think ultimately with this liturgical with a liturgical life it's actually deeply intellectual Mm. because it has a certain formation upon the person that you're given these words to reflect upon and to um cultivate and to do so throughout different seasons of life that sort of mirror your intellectual journey, right? They're not just kind of, um, you know, let's think about one thing and now will think about another thing and now will think another thing. It's
1: about building the integral life. Mm. Um, we're probably just about out of time. Um, thank you so much for joining us for three whole episodes on the university um, that was kind of a lot of fragmentary ideas and things like that. We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on this. What have your experiences been um, as a as a Christian uh, on campus? Um, how? What advice would you give for Christian students? You can like us on Facebook by just searching us on Facebook. The U Catastrophe. You can find us on Twitter at. Ucat e u c a t underscore podcast. Uh, please drop us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. That really helps us to get up there. I've found another um, review here. Um, it's uh, it's it's by uh, John Milbank. Um, I don't know who that is, but it says um, Joel, I'm I'm your father. So that's <laughs> that's not really a review, and it doesn't really talk about that's me. Just, so that's just wow.
0: You know, that just thanks for sharing that with the world. You know, I'm actually. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you're
1: becoming a counselor because I'm gonna be your first client. <laughs> uh thanks so much and uh join us in I uh, I think we'll probably take a week off after this and then And yeah look out for Dave on the streets. Yeah, um keep keep five and a half feet away from him and if uh,
0: he's walking with Sarah, just don't be part of that mob that goes to attack him. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Bye.